the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 266 Recap. Recapping the technical action as well as picks and plays and much more. Strap in. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts is work you can find over at MMA Junkies as well as oddscheckerus.com. But on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today tonight whenever you're listening to this. Um, it will be before the fight, I assume, because it's uh, I'm recording this on a Sunday. It's a recap show, not a breakdown show. I'm going to be recapping UFC 266. Um, trying to do the recap shows uh, after pay-per-views. I haven't been able to do them live on my show. I just haven't felt like organizing it, to be honest. Um, I'm sure I could find a guest co-host, but you guys are just stuck with me today. As I realize, you know what, it will make up for it because... Um, I will be uh, guest co-host recapping this tomorrow on a Southpaw podcast. So um, I will be leaving some goodies to talk about there. Um, real quick to the, that podcast feed and my man Sam um, for giving the platforms to those who need us. I don't think I plugged I know I plugged it a couple times on my socials, but uh, probably one of the more important podcasts to listen to. Um, and it was exactly what I was asking for about a podcast or two ago. Um, in regards to, um, you know, uh, uh, um, trans rights, the combate, uh, fight between, uh, um, McLaughlin and, uh, Provost, um, anyways, uh, Southpaw was able to, uh, with, uh, Carrion from Pride Never Die, another great podcast there, was able to interview Alana, and we had to actually hear, you know, from the actual person themselves, so if you want to go check that out, also shared an article, um, as I'll, I'll probably leave that part out, out of it, out of this discussion because I'm sure I'll talk more about it with Sam. But an article he wrote like back in 2019 about fighter consent, um, and uh, you know, it, we'll talk about it organically here. But as far as that article, I just want to give that a plug off the top. Maybe I'll expand more about it uh, on my recap with Sam. But I just want to talk about some technical stuff here um, as we recap the card from top to bottom. Um, and, uh, and yeah, um, thank you guys for the shouts, uh, shouts is pretty much just to all you guys, those of you who, uh, you know, uh, tip your cap or let me know that uh, I helped you in some way means a lot, uh, it seems like it was, everyone won for the most part, it seemed like, you know, last night, hopefully you did, and we're amongst those, and that's always good to see, you know, um, I'm always, I'm always happy for, uh, for other success, and if I was able to play any of help, it's uh, it, it does mean a lot, and especially when you all let me know that. Um, so thank you very much for that. That's at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter, by the only social media I'm really active on, and at the PYN podcast on all social platforms. Likes and all that stuff, it all helps. Uh, I haven't really been plugging that stuff for the Apple Podcast or the YouTube. But I do appreciate you guys, especially on the uh, YouTube Daniel Tom MMA. I'm lucky enough to have some some cool commenters and and people uh, liking the stuff there. So appreciate all that. So uh, yeah, plugs and formalities are out of the way. We're just gonna push into a recap because it's it's another busy week and um, 
It's been a busy Sunday. Uh, I'll save you these excuses. Just was another crazy thing. Just do a bunch of stuff before I could record this. I thought I was going to be able to wake up and record it today, but just took me longer than I thought to rewatch some things, and I'm really glad I did. Because um, there's just it was this one of those, you know, pay per view side pay per view that I did well on aside. Uh, honestly, just as a fan and as a fan of technical things, uh, there's some really cool stuff to talk about and meaningful things um, as far as you know. You know, we'll we'll, we'll talk about uh you know um, uh, you know takeaways of Diaz versus Lawler. Uh, you know, spoiler alert: No Country for Old Men, as I referenced on Twitter. There's definitely a lot of that parallel. Uh, so we'll talk about that. All right, we'll get into it. UFC 266. We went 10 and three overall in picks, uh, two and zero in props, and one and zero in our parlay. So again, been keeping it small, been sniping, been staying disciplined, been targeting the more proven sample sizes, if you will, and um, it's paying off. You know, another winning week. I, I felt like, and we'll talk about it. I felt like I left money on the table. I didn't chase the Volkanovski since I had a perfect night. Like, why? Why do you want to go ruin that? Even though it, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have cashed. Spoiler alert: Volkanovski uh, defeated Brian Ortega via a decision. We're gonna talk about that first here in a second. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I just felt like, uh, again, with, with, with having to rush and use all these different deadlines, it's really hard to just do the way I, I want to and just go through a card uninterrupted with like a decent amount of energy left. Um, very difficult. I won't get to why no one cares and, and I don't care to get into it, but yeah, it's just, it's just been very hard. So I've been being more disciplined and trying to focus, which is good. And again, it's paying off well in that regard, but even though ten and three is not bad, my picks are still suffering. I felt like this could have been a night I could have gone perfect or close to it. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just some fights where I picked right and didn't play, or I picked wrong, but I, I wanted to go to the other side, and I probably would have if I had more time to study uh, and a lot of hindsight, good lines, um, you know. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, Alexander Volkanovski defeats Brian Ortega. Um, you know, I, I think I had like fifty. You know. I might have had it like, like 49, 44, giving me one round to Ortega toward the end. I was kind of intoxicated live, which, you know, Volkanovski actually doubles him up in strikes. And then when I went to rewatch it, I'm like, yeah, that's a Volkanovski round. So I'm more of a 50, 44, even more of a 50, 43, because I, I feel like you could argue two 10 eights in there. Um, and, and, and we'll talk about that. Um, you know, uh, Volkanovski came out very well in round one and that was probably Ortega's you know second most competitive round the first and the last rounds um he was doing some good things he was able to check Volkanovski get some powerful leg kicks of his own but uh Volkanovski was just uh it was just beautiful that that ever so slight delay he has on his right hand from like an inside slip uh it's just so perfect and picturesque and he's so comfortable with loading on that left side with that slight delay that we saw um, about round two, about three three minutes and 40 second mark, I think, um, you see Volkanovski throw a calf kick and then a right hand comes right after that. And it's not like your typical, like, really random references for, like, from Machida to even, like, a guy like Elias Theodoro who did this where they use the typical more karate traditional martial arts style of counterbalancing your kick off the same side with a punch. So you kick, and then, like, let's say you kick with your right side, especially from your if it's your orthodox, your power stance, so you kick from your rear, your power, your right side. And as that kick is coming back for the re-chamber, 
uh, to counterbalance it, you are shooting a punch out kind of at the same time. Um, and uh, it could be like a bonus shot. Um, it could be like a little gotcha to get your opponent to get his guard up, and you can build off off of that. Um, you know, or you could just score points off it, right? Um, but it was just really beautiful how he did it. He does it in a different way where it comes like one after the other. And the balance and the load that's on his left leg to be able to accomplish both with powerful with power was just really sweet. So that's round two, three minutes and 40 seconds. You see Volk hit this sweet calf kick um, right-hand combo. Um, not too long after that, at about the two minute and 55 second mark or 35 second mark, uh, in the round two, Ortega almost repeats uh, the max head kick. Um, he throws a couple, sh uh, you know, fodder shots, if you will, gets Volkanovski where he does his retreat dip shell, um, where he kind of steps back at a 45. But uh, the power side right head kick, you know, was still uh, still almost hit, very similar. And then uh, Volk comes back later in the round. Show some really good um, hand fighting examples at round two, uh, at about two minutes and eighteen seconds. Um, you know, Ortega actually feels like he did better in orthodox stance when he was just staying long off of his lead from orthodox stance and doubling up on his jab, checking him with the jabs when Volkanovski would kick. Um, some somewhat naked, like those were his best shots. Whereas Volk, even though we didn't see him a lot with southpaws, right? Um, Again, you know, surprised to no one, I'm sure. He was well-studied and was he did better um, because he studied uh, against Ortega when he was southpaw, using the hand fighting, the left hooks, um, the kicks to the in and the outside, which, again, we saw with a max fight, that he can attack no matter the stance combination when paired with a Othello stance switcher. So that was, that was really cool. Um, but then you come to round three where it gets crazy now. It's funny. Initially, I wanted to go 10-8 Volkanovski. And I still feel like there's an argument for it, which is weird because I'm usually like, Dan, aren't you the one, you know, arguing that submission catches, uh, you know, should be counted more and uh, should be a metric and all that stuff and meaning, you know, uh, and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely contrarian to a fault when it comes to those arguments. But even people who maybe would be more susceptible to doing that um, I feel like we're we're giving uh, Ortega submission attempts a lot of credit by putting out 10-9 scores um, for Volkanovski, which, again, is not wrong. I'm not trying to die on a hill, throw shade or anything. I'm just talking about why I thought my, you know, why I thought then and now that, you know, um, it's still very much open for a 10-8. Uh, because if you read the criteria as far as 10-8, goes you know uh you know there's the 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 3ds as far as uh, damage uh duration domination i believe but also when you get into the language of a 108 or even a 107 especially um 108's more i don't have the exact language apologize but like if a fight also came close to ending right and and you've got maybe two out of the 3ds or something contextually you can you can justify it um, although shouts to Sean Sheehan, you know, talking about the, you've heard him reference a new directive and why we saw less 10-8s, even though it's like we saw the judges trying, which was good, but then we just saw some weird ones. And I get it. I had issues too, but apparently, uh, you know, um, word on the street is that you know, Dana did not like uh, 
the ten eights and gave a directive there. So again, kind of showing the athletic commissions how it's like okay, if that's true. It's like wait, so promoters can opinions matter. What about fighter safety? You fucking jerks. Sorry, I'm not a fan of commissions. Clearly, um, but yeah, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's a. Uh, you know, if it was a, a fight, you know, ten seven, maybe a fight should have been, maybe should have not just came close to being stopped, but like maybe probably should have been stopped. Like the fighter shouldn't still be here. A la Frankie Edgar Gray Maynard round one in their second fight at UFC one twenty five is that classic example, right? Um, for the differentiations there, and the fight should have been stopped. Um, you know, um, if you look at the end, it's only only air quotes about. 30 seconds of damage after uh, Volkanovski sh shakes the second submission, which I'll get into those escapes in a second. Um, but you have to keep in mind that Volkanovski was winning the round before uh, he got cross countered off and that off balance for the off balance knockdown. Uh, or Ortega did hit him, but again, when it's off balance, that should be accounted for. Um, most people overcorrect, like judges, and count that shit as a knockdown, which fucking pisses me off. Um, it's an off-balance knockdown because he got his kick caught and that's how he got thrown into the guillotine. But you have to keep in mind that Volkanovski was having one of his best rounds and outstriking him up to that point. Um, hurt him. Now, granted, I believe, you know, that, uh, that calf kick right hand, by the way, I would argue that's the turning point in round two, but then there's another point where he gets really rocked and I think that's in round three and I think that's with a headbutt and they were able to confirm that on a replay where you know volk does his typical uh two three counter crash counter and ortega jumps in and looks like he successfully excuse me looks like he successfully avoids both rolling under the hook but as he rolls under he looks off balance because something hit him and according to commentary on their production replay which uh their production crew is great about doing that for them um they confirmed that it was a headbutt uh, but either way, um, he's getting outstruck and, and, and fucked up that round. And before, during, and after the submission attempts, he's getting punched as well. So in between, um, he's also getting he's also getting ground and pounded. Now, the first guillotine it was scary because you saw him flailing. And you saw his legs flailing up. Uh, where Ortega had that strong mount where he's not just mounted, but he's underneath him. So it makes it hard for them to get their legs, uh, fight for one back to get a half guard, to get their base to buck. Um, and for that reason, it almost looked dead to rights. But in the replay, if you look, Volkanovski, and, and it's scary because both of the submission attempts were on Ortega's strong side, his left side. Again, he, even though he fought most of his career orthodox, just like uh, Charles Oliveira, both of them do their chokes from their left side. Any camps... Uh, or people strategizing for camps out there, yeah, don't put your head on that side. Um, you know, put your head on the opposite side, you will probably, on paper, decrease your chances of getting choked by 50 50%. Because um, everybody favors sides, even in grappling. It's not just striking, right, where you have your sides on techniques. Um, and that guillotine was on his strong side, but if you look uh, on the other side, where his head's at, you'll see Volkanovsky's hand inside of uh, Ortega's forearm, and pushing that down, and that's kind of giving him enough space. And as soon as Volkanovski, I think he realizes that he's not going to be able to half guard, buck, or bridge with all the leverage that that style of mount took away from him. 
Um, he comboed the hand for in, that hand push for safety with really turning his chin into Ortega, uh, into the ribs and into his his chin into his ribs in toward the direction where his grip was, and that actually helped break the grip because then you see his chin post into the ribs and he can kind of flex forward, like uh, pushing off, you know, like you want to do your chin to the chest. And you will see him do that kind of a move, and that that that, that helps buck and break the grip off. Um, then of course he gets on top and starts grounded pounding, uh, Ortega, uh, Ortega grabs a wrist, it's all he needs, jumps up, launches up, and, uh, snatches the triangle, um, just smartly does the thing where he doesn't grab the foot, because the foot's weak and can break, he grabs the ankle, or the shin bone just above the ankle, uh, as far as his, uh, overlapping triangle leg, and, um, and yeah, and then, I don't know how much uh, Volkanovski was going to stack, but usually you assume that's what someone's going to do, especially in MMA with the striking. And uh, Ortega's done this before. I'm a big fan of it, although coaches like my man Shouts Dennis Davis always also warns his guys about hooking under the leg for their triangles. I love it for leverage. It goes into the arm bar. You can sweep um, and whatnot. Uh, you, you, uh, you can go, what do they call it, flower sweeps, I think. I don't know. But there's, there, there's sweeps and stuff there as well. The danger in MMA, though, is when you hook under the leg, if someone decides to sit back down, um, it's hard to get your hand back because the glove almost acts as a trapping mechanism when you clamp on the uh, just above the glove, right? Uh, whereas if you're if it's just all skin and sweaty, you can kind of slide it out if it's just your hand, but that glove almost makes it trapped in there. And then you can get kind of grounded, pounded to death, right? Um, go see Wellington Terman's last knockout loss. He got caught doing that. Um However, Volkanovski, it looks like he gets off base from it. And it reminded me of the Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen one fight when Anderson does the comeback in round five. And that's usually dangerous because they're off base, they're on their ass, right? And, you know, uh, Ortega, A, a good triangle guy, and, and B, more importantly, has a, still has a decent grasp. So usually it's, it's pretty much bad news from there. Um, but the escape that he's doing, now, I'm usually, I'm not a big fan of this one. Uh, I'm always about pressuring in, and since I am a fan of hooking the leg when I do triangles, naturally, if you're good at something, generally, you are good at defending it. Um, so my main escape is I actually will push forward, and either the first triangle escape I ever learned, again, shout out to Dennis Davis, probably about, like back in 2007 or 2008, um, was um, a proper defense, I should say. But was uh, this one's actually not used that much. Um, so someone gets the triangle, and now you don't want your posture broken, your arm pulled across, pulled down, angle braked, all that, right? Um, but you got in the triangle catch. If possible, you can... Okay, so your head and arm, the, head, the arm that's trapped inside the triangle uh, will wrap around a leg, almost like you're trying to guillotine their thigh. And on that same side you're wrapping, you're going to drive your ear to the mat and yank down and toward you like you're sucking their legs in off of a double and that breaks the triangle grip you can get a pass off that um i, I don't like it as much as i've gotten older or more experience it, it just it feels a little more desperate and i think obviously volkanovsky was in desperation which is why he had to go to this uh, this other escape that i'm going to get to in a second but the one i, I like more which is uh, i would do my best to explain in audio um even though the other escape that I just described is great because it gets your arm 
away from getting, you know, shoulder locked or, you know, put across to get the triangle finished. Uh, I will keep my arm almost in that position uh, or it's pointed in the same direction that my opponent would want it to finish a triangle. Except what I do is I go palm to palm. So I'm controlling the end of my own limb to help keep control and keep them from gaining control. And as my arm that is in the triangle with my head is a palm to palm grip, my forearm is going horizontal almost across their belly and I'm driving forward and down into their belly, making them carry my weight um, and putting all the pressure, making them burn their legs, letting them burn out uh, because triangle and, and defense is probably my strongest suit. Uh, ask anybody that grapples with me um they usually won't get me in the triangle and if they do it's usually literally a fight for a majority of the round and they're fucking they can't grapple the the next round after it um and uh but that's 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 the purpose and i know someone sh was sharing a clip of volkanovsky saying you let him get tired he showed him in a triangle similar using a similar frame uh to give him space that he used to survive and uh people joke about that but that is an actual tactic in fact i can't remember the jujitsu guy but there's a guy in a gi who has like some of the most mangled ears the old school brazilian dude feel free to hit me at dan tom mma if this rings a bell but um uh but he his his whole game was allowing people to get triangles on him and that's how he got his passes because when you pass from that you usually get a pretty good pass and they're usually pretty damn tired because they're putting down the proverbial pack and that was his whole game is tiring guys out giving you know just just Honey, you know, uh, you know, you know, honey trapping them uh, and tiring them out, and uh, you know, I don't think that you know Volkanovski went into that this fight, much less that exchange with that in mind. But it clearly, as he cited himself in a principle, was something in his own lexicon, and it, it is true. It's dangerous. You don't want to, um, but it's true. Uh, and again, back uh, uh, back to the way you can stack and avoid getting your leg hooked. Um, it's something that I practice again. So I'm driving my weight, uh, forward, uh, down and into them as I'm palm to palm grip with my arm that's trapped inside the triangle with my head across horizontally going down and into their belly. Um, and the great part about that palm to palm grip, which the palm to palm is essentially glued to their hip, uh, and it's glued to their hip on the same side that they would need to be hooking to get their angle for the triangle, right? Okay, if, if and if again, if it's reversed, the same thing would apply reversed. If it's my other arm trapped in there with my head, I'm doing the same thing but reverse, and it's still the same thing for my opponent. They still got a hook to the same side where I'm palm to palm. And the beauty of that palm to palm is I can still not compromise the frame that I'm using to drive and drain my opposition uh, with the arm that's quote unquote in trouble, but the other arm that's quote unquote not in trouble that's attached to the palm and palm. Uh, that elbow, of course, again, it's on the same side where opponent would have to hook the leg. So without even compromising said frame and strong position and posture that I have, um, I can actually use my elbow to fight. And of course, I can, you know, cheekily lift my leg up briefly on the same side if they get close to grabbing it while not compromising my base and going one way to the side. So I have two tools essentially to, to fight their one, which is a risky one, especially in MMA. Um... And that's kind of how I'll go about, and I'll slowly stack. And if I wanted to get out there fast, you, would, you wouldn't you would just stack and sit there. You actually would move the opposite side um, that, Vol that Volkanovsky did. But again, it's because I'm pressuring forward, which is why it works. You move to the opposite side. You start circling. You put a knee on, on, their, on, their, on, their, on their neck, on their face, on their chest to be mean uh, as well. 
and you circle out and break the triangle that way. Now Volko got got the uh, Ortega was able to get his leg, uh, you know, his his the leg hook, you know, under underneath the leg and compromise his balance down. And he goes the opposite way, which is scary because on paper it's like, oh, was he going to get caught by it? But if you look, what he does is he reaches in Volko with his free hand because it's his left arm and his head's trapped in. So his right arm, I believe, reaches up into the inside of Ortega's thigh. And this is a defense to kind of – this can work too if you're trying to stack defend. Um, it's more of a last ditch, of course. But uh, he pulls the thigh down to kind of give his – to make some space for – uh, for for his neck and his artery uh, artery to get flow, then he quickly puts his head and when when he's on his back he quickly replaces that hand, and he almost like C clamps uh, to the opposite thigh, and wedges his elbow into the hip, so he's got like his elbow wedged in it where it take his hip, and now he's kind of C clamping pushing the other side after he created a little bit of breathing space, and. Um, it looked much scarier to us, but in, in replay, and again, I'm not as familiar with this escape, so apologies if I'm butchering it. I know I'm not doing the best explaining it, especially through audio medium, but I think that essentially that when you rewatch it, you see that Volko is pretty calm about that one too. He's not um, he's not too worried. Again, was it his plan to get that deep and a guy named Triangle City's Triangle? Like, No, obviously not. Not great. Not the plan. But when put there... He did have desperation modes of escape, which was good. And I feel like going to that side, and someone can weigh in on this much better than me, but dropping to that side actually can be its own defense too. And I think Volkanovsky knew that. Um, because again, uh, the side that Volkanovsky dropped to was his left side. That was also the side where the triangle was locked up at, right? So it's similar principle to when someone has the back and they have the body triangle. Even people who don't train jiu-jitsu, the commentary has gone over this, that you all should know this, is that you roll to the side that the triangle's on, right? Because that disrupts to the leverage, that disrupts the leverage and sometimes pops it open. Um, same thing with the triangle. So I'd like to think that Volkanovski is smart because uh, he is and was doing all that on purpose. Uh, but obviously live, when we don't have the time to process this, it looks incredibly scary. But there were safety measures from frames, uh, awareness grips, to the direction that he was rolling to. Um, again, they're, they're, they're last-ditch ones, not ones I'm, um, I would recommend going to first, but when you have to, they're there. Not ones I particularly am familiar with uh, or, you know, in my repertoire. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm so diehard stacking um, just because I'm just really confident in, in stacking inside guards with submissions uh, or just in a clean guard. Uh, and the principles there, um, but when you look at what he was doing, they were they were um, they all made sense, man. They made sense when you actually go back and look at it. Um, so yeah, he gets out of that and then just beats the crap out of him, and that's where the fight should have been stopped because the the visuals of of Ortega just flattened out, like literally like a cartoon, like Acme, right? When they jump off and they get flattened uh, on the pavement, like that's what it looked like, and. Um, if that wasn't enough of a visual to stop it, like the fact that the corner had to help him up, this is a rule, folks. I'm trying to think of the fight. Please let me know. Um, there was a fight earlier this year where it happened and people were up in arms and defending, you know, that the fighters should have been able to have the right to take more brain trauma because, you know, they need more of that. Um, and I'm not throwing shade, like, because there's people, like, again, we're live, we're having drinks. I get it. Like, and there's, there's well meaning people who are like, I don't think it was that bad. He came back. 
And I'll talk about that opinion and why I'm not trying to, you know, come at anybody, but why that's that that's a, a not good opinion to have. I'll explain that. Um, but just by the rules, forget opinions for a second, okay? These are facts. Hashtags facts, bro crowd. Y'all should appreciate this then. Um, it, it is a rule that your, your corner is not allowed to help you um, or the cut man, uh, which is why good referees, you'll see, scold the corners and the cut man because it's your natural instinct and sometimes the fighter will almost reach for it. And good refs will scold that. You have to let them go to the, on their own will. Ortega was lucky enough to get flattened like right in his corner to where he didn't have to walk anywhere. And he still wouldn't have been able to make it to his corner without his cornerman literally picking him up, which should be an instant disqualification. I will reference Eric Anders versus Tiago Santos. We saw that, and it was really gross. Um, and I don't think the ref stopped it until like Anders just passed. He could, couldn't even make it with the assistance, and then they stopped it. Like, dude, you should have already stopped it. Um, but yeah, if you look at if you look at the shots that uh. The shots that he took, statistically, by the way, um, 214 total with a 60% accuracy, Volkanovsky, by the way, to 88 total strikes. Uh, the most shots he lands, by the way, and I'm not trying to, like, remind and try to, like, bias the story. No, like, out of all the rounds, 61 strikes, uh, significant strikes, um, that, that was the leader in round three for Volkanovsky. It was also the biggest uh, differentials, or one of the biggest differentials next to round four, the round he shouldn't have come out for. Um, and if you look at the Holloway fight, like, yeah, the Holloway fight, he gets 134 alone, landed on him at a 60% accuracy rate as well. 59 technically, but we'll give it to Max. 60, right? Throwing that many punches, more than Volk did. Um but if you look at it, a lot of it was in that round four, and the doctor actually saved his ass. And you can actually find Ortega uh, articles and quotes and Instagram posts where he actually agreed with it and, and was like, the doctor saved me. Um, but no one came to save save Ortega, not his corner. And sure as shit, not the doctor. Sure as shit, not Herb Dean. Um, so, and if you look at those previous max rounds, as high as they were, they weren't high as like the 61, I believe, for that round three. I mean, it was pretty close, and it was, you know, I think in total, like, technically more if we really want to split hairs there, but you shouldn't. They were just both really bad fucking beatings that Ortega was pushed into in more ways than one and not protected from from more ways than one, at least in this one. Um, for sure. Because they had multiple times in the round and two times in between the corners for damn sure, and that's just, that's just not, that's not ar arguable. Um, you can have opinions on to what degree, but, but the fact is um, stopping the fight was on the table. It was on the table, and it was not taken. Um, so you have that, which alone should be incriminating. And Herb was right there and saw it, so it wasn't like the ref didn't see the corner help him. Um, by the way, the uh, Octagon officials, who just feel, I feel like they just stand there and um, yell at them when the, when the time's coming up. Um, they're also supposed to be like looking for... Like, which is why the inhaler thing was so ridiculous. Like, these are, they're not supposed to be standing there, like, you know, for camera time. Although, I'm sure a lot of them, that may be their motivation. Like, they're actually supposed to be watching the corners and making sure these rules are, abar are abided by, you know, safety and all. Which is, you know, why these commissions, like, are there. Um, 
None of that's going on. So again, we've already got multiple failures, and we're not even into the the championship rounds yet. We already have multiple failures from the commission at multiple levels in a fight that on paper should have been stopped once and on opinion should have at least been stopped twice, two windows now in counting. We go to round four, biggest strike differential. Um, Second most, or no, third most uh, strikes landed. Round five, Volkanovski does deceptively well on the rewatch. He uh, outlands Ortega double. So people say, oh, he came back in round five. It's like, well, no, he act- uh, Volkanovski actually had his second best statistical striking round in round five in the round that, uh, and doubled Ortega in strikes in the round that Ortega, air quotes, came back from. And even if Ortega came back and actually had a strong round, uh, justifiably, even more, he comes back, has a strong round, he wins the fucking fight. It does not change the cost that he already paid. For the head trauma incurred. Because if you look at round four. Round four. I just write bad. It's insane. Um, by the way. that The doctor tweet that I tweeted up. And people are, 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 are saying what they think it is. Um, I tweeted that. It sounded like they said. Uh, it sounded like they said. Um, he thinks he can fight. Or I don't think he can fight. And both those are incriminating. Uh, someone in a DM said. Uh possibly i'm thinking he can fight after listening to it many times i agree i think that's what it is and that language wise is less incriminating but if you watch it like it's completely incriminating it's like a, it's a failed dui test so again we're not into the championship rounds and we're we're, we're we're adding on to the multiple failures that were already on paper not met right um ortega walks the wrong direction um walks the wrong direction twice despite being pointed to and he can barely see uh, where he's stepping on the mat. Um, they gave him two tests where Herb Dean changes the fingers until Ortega can get it right. Uh, Ortega says, I think I can. It's like, I think no. It's, it's, it, there's no I think. Um, that was him. Ask, that's a fighter. When the fighter says I think, that's them asking for a way out. Because they can't tell you no. They can't lose their manhood. Or womanhood or fighterhood. You know what I'm trying to say there. Um, but it it was just it was just gross. And the, if you look at the doctor when he says the I, I I'm thinking he can still fight or whatever. Um, another reason why I thought maybe he he said maybe he did say that I think he, I don't think he can fight. Herb almost reacts like like a boss hearing some news he doesn't like. No 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 fuck that no 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 this is how it's gonna go. And you see Herb with an urgency, and he goes toward Brian. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to tell me what finger. It's just like like a cop at an interrogation. Like, it was almost like a bad cop show interrogation. And the bad cops interrogating so bad that they're like little schoolboys because it, it was just, you could see it's the same behavior, like little kids. Like one kid goes at the energy and because we're, we're, we're humans and we have this weird mimicking energy. You see the doctor. All of a sudden he starts coming at Ortega. Yeah, yeah. Who shot him? Who shot him? Where was he? Where were you on the night of this? Like it, that's what it looks like. Go watch the body language of that scene. It's it's fucking gross. Like the dude, the fighter is asking for a way out. Y'all should know this. And it just, you know, passing multiple things. Herb should know it from his fight, uh, experience, fighter experience. Uh, being in there with the fighters so much, and the doctors should know it just based on their basic fucking protocol, which they failed, right? Um, so they send him in here, in there. He doesn't even know where he's at, of course, and um, and he just gets lit up. Uh, he, I think for about you know two and a half, for about you know half the round, 
he's on his back taking hard shots. And I wrote round four, ground and pound shots at 120 in round four with the left and 113 with the right. Oof, I wrote. And that's why you can't also, even though you shouldn't compare in the sense that they're both bad, but if you want to compare and say, well, it's not as bad as Max for that argument, significant strikes and stats aren't the end-all be-all. I know I'm citing them, but I'm citing them in conjunction to make points that are, are also identifiable and confirmable from multiple other facets, okay? Um, the stats, though, are very tricky because... Go watch those shots again, ground and pound shots round four at 120 with the left, 113 with the right. Like, these are really hard shots with your head has nowhere to go. Whereas Max Holloway is not a one-shot knockout guy. He is not as powerful as Volkanovski. And Ortega, who especially is like really in that floaty Philly shell in that whole fight, right? He is rolling with the harder to lighter shots. He's taking a little bit off it for what that's worth. The head has nowhere to go when you're flat on your back like that and just taking shots. Um, those are really, really bad. Um, then Ortega makes it back to his corner somehow after round four. And instead of making up for it, uh, the corner is barely letting him breathe. Like At first I thought it was something happened to him because he's making these weird like exhales like... <laughs> But I'm like, okay, no, this is a breathing technique that Ortega's trying to do to get his breath in. That's good. That's responsible of him. Uh, if anything, it shows that he's, for the people arguing that he's still capable enough to fight, he's remembering how to do breathing exercises, I guess. If we're really, you know, really lowering the bar of competency for fighters here, he's remembering to breathe. Okay. Um, if you go look at that round, the fucking, uh, fucking dipshit corner, um, you got Tiki Gozen in there, by the way who, um, you know, I don't know if it's the damage that he he sustained from the guy two fights earlier, Robbie Lawler, back in the Dizzy. Um, but Tiki, the manager, by the way, top five fighters fucked over by their corners and managers. That's a topic we'll have to keep in mind. Like, he says, quote, this is, this is called earning it, Brian. This is called earning it. Oh, is that what it's called? It's not called brain damage. Well, what what was it called? What he did did against Max. You know, was that earning it? Oh, technically, he earned it with an amazing performance, uh, where he didn't take damage and fought smart uh, against TKZ. You were managing him them, right? Shouldn't shouldn't maybe we earn it that way? I don't know whatever your fucked up definition of earning it is, but in the middle of Brian trying to get his fucking breaths. They put a water bottle in his face, and he's doing these outside exhales, and it's a full fucking water bottle, so it's like spilly, and it's over to the top, and they throw it right to his nose to where it splashes up into his nostrils and in his eyes, and the camera cuts away to go to the other corner, but I wanted to keep it on there to see how fucked up Brian Ortega got from the corner man just fucking being so fucking stupid. You don't even know how to feed fucking water. God, I hope you're not a fucking parent. I know it's a high-stress situation and we shouldn't grade, but you know what? There's a lot of fucking benefits of the doubt we could have given this fucking corner. This isn't because I don't like Brian Ortega. Again, people you know, making these arguments and with the tweet that I said for people who, who have to hear this, like it doesn't matter. Again, he could have came back and won after all this, folks. It still doesn't matter. I'm still just, and you still should be too, especially if you're a Brian Ortega fan because I'm not saying this and neither is anybody saying this. It's not because we're not a fan of these people. It's because they get pushed into these these positions. And 
it's it's not because I'm a contra- just because I'm a contrarian. Not like the hype guys. It's like no, because this is what happens to the hype guys. They get thrown in there. They get to show how tough they are much more sooner than they need to, in career altering beatings. You know, which is what it was. You know, you hear John Anik saying saying it on the broadcasting on Holloway. And you see the corner being stupid, saying, you know, good, Brian, good. Round three going into round four. However, I'm trying to figure out if it was Henner. It looks like it was Henner, the, the guy who wasn't in the corner this time. I don't know if he was. Uh, at least he wasn't forefront in the tiki position. He looked like the only one that was trying to stop the fight. And according to Ortega, he's the only one that he retained. And again, according to Ortega, post the Holloway fight, he was glad and agreed with the doctor stopping it. So, yeah, not seeing Henner, not seeing it stopped. And not that Henner is some kind of fucking god or whatever. I'm just saying, like, I'm trying to put the pieces together. I went back to watch these things, people. Um, and, yeah, it's that is just really bad. That was just really bad damage. Um, and, it, and it just... And it just yeah, and it, and, it, and it just sucks. Um, and, and again, so for people arguing or, you know, trying to, you know, not even arguing, just, you know, even if you did it well-meaning, like, seriously, like that, that is why. Um, and, and again, for you stats guys, if those stats weren't enough, how about this one? Um, this one from Michael Carroll at MJC, uh, at MJC flip the script, D-A for duh. Uh, Brian Ortega is just the second fighter in UFC history to suffer a minus 100 or more significant strike differential on two occasions, going minus 170, 26 tonight, and minus 180 versus Holloway. He joins Nam Fam, another jiu-jitsu guy from California who got really into the striking and wanted to make fun shows, um, chasing those bonuses, you know? Uh, again, not trying to make like a meaningful end-all, be-all comparison or anything with that. Just saying it's just not, not a surprise. And yeah, yeah. So again, vote, uh, you know, for people questioning why, like that is why, like multiple metrics, multiple rules, multiple conversa- co- confirmations, if not for your visual and common sense, which should have been enough. Um. So yeah, that was really gross and puts a stain on it because it was just really like, I was like, po- like I started out pointing out a lot of the technical stuff. There was really awesome uh, technical stuff for this fight to go watch. Um, I know I just spent like a half hour talking about this fight, but yeah, that's that's a pretty a thorough breakdown of it. I'm not gonna spend long. I'm gonna kind of go through the rest pretty fast here. Um, Valentina Shevchenko defeated Lauren Murphy, cashed that over, which was awesome. Although it didn't look like it was gonna cash because Shevchenko is actually like much more aggressive and mean than she normally is. And Lauren Murphy could not get anything going. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I feel bad. Uh, I'm not trying to pile on her corners. I know it's been piled on. And Lauren Murphy made a really nice post, positive post. And I, too, am aware that that was the cornering style for Murphy. That's how she prefers it. She likes kind of being positive talk like that. Um, my critique was more not so much the positive talk. It's more, and maybe because, you know, and again, not that you can't bullshit a bullshitter. I've been bullshitted plenty of times, um, you know. I'm not the sharpest tool myself. Uh, I'd be silly to pretend I was. That being said, as I imagine with everybody, when it does come to the things that you do know, generally, you can spot out some bullshit. And I really sent some bullshit in the corner. I don't know who it was. I don't think it was Crew Bob. Might not even be from her husband, uh, who I always give shouts to. But the striking advice someone tried to give her was not just what the advice was. It was the way they said it. 
it was so insecure that it was just reeking with insecurity and it was only the first round. I'm like, really? You're going to give that energy to your fighter? So when I tweeted, that's what I meant. Like, it's that's really tough to hear. So I'm really reaching for advice. Like, And also, it just seemed like that either the person was just completely faltering under pressure, which can happen and it's fine, I guess. Um, it's not fine, but, you know, it's it, it's understandable. Um, it's explainable. Uh, but it just came off to me like, ooh, someone's faking it in there. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if that was the case. It could have been the other, not the latter. But either way, it just ooh, it was just bad. Not that you needed a, me to pick on a corner to tell you that fight was going to go bad. But you get what I'm saying. I'm just happy the overcashed. Hopefully, you know, Murphy's all right. Um, yeah, you know. And, uh, you know, horny Shevchenko fans were able to get their, uh, they're like, ooh, dancing times two, which was shot, 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 shots. Uh, oh, you guys appreciated that, that drinking game tweet there. Um, yeah, the Robbie Lawler defeated Nick Diaz, third round TKO. Yeah, man, it, it's tough. It's like, it, it started bad. We're like, okay, Nick's not going to make it out of this. This was a really bad pick as if you didn't have to, as if I didn't already think that going in. Um, but then he starts coming back and you're like, okay, maybe if he survived the storm, he's putting the volume together. He's, he's showing some craft. Um, his eyes looked like they were working. Like, he was making some smart moves. He was seeing what was coming, even when he was getting bombed on and kind of, like, having to shoot and survive for a little bit. Um, his eyes seemed to be working in there, which was a huge. That that that's that's that can be what goes first a lot of times, you know, if anything, maybe, uh, at that class, too, especially that, that weight class and lower. You know, welterweight, even though it was a middleweight fight. You know what I'm saying. Um, so that was good. But I think it was more of a mental note. Um, I'm not sure. So I'm just going to blanket credit Zane, Phil, and Connor. I'm not sure which one of them was talking about it, but like comparing the Anderson Silva mentality, uh, how Nick might mentally be checked out, which was a huge flag. And I was like, ooh, I didn't know if I gave that enough credence. Uh, now, Nick showed to be more aggressive in this Robbie fight, for sure, than the Anderson fight. Um, so he was like, his wherewithal was there. Like, he wasn't scared, homie, right? And not that anybody was calling him scared, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Um, he was functioning, his eyes were working, but there definitely was, maybe not in that exact way that, 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 that I just cited or just framed, but there was a mental component in there where the pitter-patter, the technicality was there, but the meanness and the commitments to hard shots wasn't. Um, there was only a couple times where we started to turn the tide and got Robbie to start backing up. But otherwise, it was Robbie just constantly pushing him back, suffocating. Robbie looked rejuvenated. Um, you know, I thought he was shot, and 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 maybe he's not. Uh, although, to to my credit, and people that thought he was, I mean, Lawler admitted himself that he hasn't been able to get up for fights, uh, and this one got him up, and he thanked Nick and was just blown away. And you could see that from the start of his performance to the finish. I mean, the confidence he had in the corner, because even though Nick was doing better and surviving the storms. And you might start thinking, okay, now if we get deeper in the fight, we're getting better. I don't know about you guys, but for me, by the mid to the end of the second round, it looked like it was just a matter of time. And then you see Robbie, how confident he was in the corner in the third round, uh, full of energy. Oof, this was this was going to be bad. Uh, and then poetically enough, he gets hit with a check hook and, and takes a knee. The left looks like it just barely misses. He goes down, looks to hold his leg for a second, stops, thinks about it, tells Herzog, you, you know, uh, he doesn't want any more, and, and it's done. And I don't hold it against Nick Diaz. I wasn't surprised. 
I don't think anybody should. And not just because it's Nick Diaz, not just because it's a fighter at that stage of their career even. I feel like any fighter should have that right and, um, you know, and not be, not be criticized to, uh, you know, for it. Um, I know we're passionate, we're having drinks, we're making bets, yada, yada, and I, I get it. But if you think about it, and the fight game, and I'm not going to try to go into some even deeper diatribe here, but, like, this is ugly, man. And these fighters aren't given much dignity. It's not everybody can go out on top like a George St. Pierre, right? Or even in a fan favorite way, like a um, Chris Lytle. And I don't know if Chris Lytle did. I know he came back for bare knuckle and won, but then did he stick around and ruin his storybook there? You get what I'm saying. The only dignity, if, if at all, in a sport that really offers you not much. Um, you know, and and I don't want to get too much into the consent article with Sam that I want to talk with him about, but uh, is your own consent, right? Your own choice. Um, like we talked about, you know, a couple podcasts ago. Um with how all fighters, you know, no matter what their their, their gender, how they identify, um, you know, especially if, we, you know, we're, we're given, you know, people in society like the Greg Hardy's a shot. Like, you know, this should be a place where we can express ourselves. Yes, I'm not going back on what I said there. But by the same token that, the you know, fighter's choice, like woman's choice, right? If they don't want to do it, and they want to quit in the middle of it, they have that fucking right to, because they were there doing it. So, you know, I didn't see too much shit being thrown Nick Diaz's way there, but you know, I just, I just think it's something we should keep in mind. I know y'all are are, are are salt of the earth people if you're even listening to this show or this far. So, I'm not trying to look for you guys because you guys definitely weren't among that crowd. But you know, it's just something that I was just realizing and really was pointed out you know as uh nick diaz as i said he is the norm mcdonald of mma because he kind of rambles and you know he definitely stands out from the crowd especially on deuses he's got his own rhythm but he says some of the most poignant things and um and it makes a lot of sense and his honesty has just been amazing and i think as he's gotten older he's gotten more of a hand on it um I think if anything that he's moved out of the party phase, I think there is truth to that, but not in the sense that was used to maybe market this fight, that he's focused and back better than ever. Although I will say, I, I did think we were at least going to maybe see some of that shape that he was flossing on the Instagram. I don't know what happened. If it was a physical injury, uh, a mental one, something went awry, you know, uh, but... Yeah, with the camp changes and the weight and this and that, and him clearly coming looking like he wasn't going to be able to make Walter weight. Like, what was what was going on here? Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's just honest. And it's, uh, like I said, I got no country for old men vibes, and there's just parallel. I'm going to attach a pie play a scene to close this out here. It's just an amazing scene in an amazing movie, amazing dialogue, everything. And it really sums up what I imagine what Nick Diaz's conversation in his head would look like um, between uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character and his uncle Ellis, I believe is his name. Uh, 
It's kind of a rundown sheriff and Tommy Lee Jones, if you haven't seen the movie No Country for Old Men, is a sheriff that's on his way out. And um, he just feels overmatched. And he's coming to grips that his career is over and reflected on how he thought it would be by the time he got to this age. And there's just so many parallels there. And it doesn't help that Nick Diaz himself said, you know, I had it coming. And of course, Alice, a really epic way to kind of close out the story that he tells about their uncle and relative getting getting shot down. Um, you know, living his life, living the the life of the uh, the law, the parallel the life of the fighter until the, the bitter end. And uh, when he's shot and he's trying to get to his gun and the wife's uh, trying to take care of him, but, you know, Ennis or Ellis says, uh, you know, he needs a score even if she didn't. And uh, it just reminded me of Nick Diaz sitting down there in that moment he had waiting. You know, Herzog's waiting, Lawler's waiting, the whole world's waiting. That, that split moment. After Nick Diaz goes down, very briefly grabs his shin, sits, rocks back, rocks back up onto his butt and sits up with the momentum, takes that split second. He knew the price at that point, even if we didn't. And like Ellis said, you can't stop what's coming. And uh, yeah. It was just one of the many reminders, but of course in his own unique way, as Nick tends to do, one of the many reminders uh, of the game these fighters play and the cost. And yeah, man, it's just unforgiving, you know? Even for Lawler, who won, it's like, what? now he got, does this momentum set him up for some young gun now they're going to throw him in there with and we're just going to watch Lawler get washed again? And eventually Lawler won't be able to, you know, crawl back up on shore. You know, that's just the way it is. So, um, again, it wasn't, eh, it was a really stupid pick. And maybe, you know, especially when the line got down, man, regardless of who you pick, maybe, you know, we all should have played Lawler in hindsight there. But, um, you know, Lawler, this was his first stoppage win since UFC 189 in 2015. So Lawler hadn't knocked anybody out since the last time Nick Diaz fought. You line it up like that or phrase it like that. Well, then perhaps, again, the inactivity, not as crazy as it sounded. Again, by unemotional, uh, on paper, raw on paper, yeah, they, they overperformed. Nick Diaz did, right? Again, he was showing some real craft out there. His eyes were working and everything. He just, uh, you know, he was didn't have that old killer instinct and i remember one of the inter the interviews he was doing on the promo with olivi on the fight day once they recorded earlier in the day and he was like um i wouldn't want to run into who i was back then he said about his younger self and he catches himself and he goes i mean i wouldn't want to run into me now either but uh, the me now is more uh, i don't know if i want to I don't know if I want to get. Oh, I don't know if I want to get hit by that. And he even like said that and was like, "Oh shit," and which is good. It's smart. 
Uh, but that's the thing, you know, as he's like talking about getting out of the party stage, I think it was less about, like I said, about being a super warrior again and, and more about that coach role that I didn't realize he was taking. And with the way he was talking and stuff like that, you're like, he's just, he doesn't, yeah, man, you get older, you get more sensitive, like, and, and, and head trauma helps speed that process along, let me tell you, firsthand experience. And I know where Nick's at. And it's not fighting, man. So I hope he don't fight again. If he does, and again, they all do it for money. I get that, obviously. And Nick's always said that. I get that, obviously. But this is another level. He could at least, he still had that, that animal in him to where he could still use the tools that he needed to to get it, make his money. And now he can't work those tools as well. So, yeah, it's tough. All right, um, Curtis Blades defeated Rosenstrach uh, de decision. This was tough, man. I'm a Blades fan, and again, I'm a grappling fan, but this was just, oof. This is bad. I know Blades said because he got his eye messed up that he wanted to play it safe, but that's the whole thing at heavyweight. Even if you're one of the only dominant wrestlers doing the most dominant damn thing, at a certain point it's diminishing returns because you're just allowing your fight, your fighter in the fight. Um, because... That messed up eye happened after Blades already had a decent stanza of grounding Rosenstruck. And something I was hoping for, um, and obviously wasn't too confident, which is why this wasn't on my plays for this fight or anything like that, even though I did pick Blades to win, um, was that he was going to make more hay when he got those positions, like realizing that, oh, A, I can't stand and strike too long, uh, and B, when I do grapple, I really got to make use of it because when these guys get back up, it just takes one. And I, whereas to get the takedown and get the work, it takes a lot of energy. So let's let's be efficient. And I didn't see that. I didn't see the aggression or the efficient aggression. And then he gets hurt, and that should be even more so urgency to get the fight to the ground. We see a little bit of that. He does get the fight to the ground, but then no urgency. The urgency stops. You know, you're going to let him out of the round or be so inactive the ref could potentially stand you up. Now you got to deal with it again. So I don't I don't buy that excuse. I get it. I'm not trying to, you know, shit on a fucking talented-ass heavyweight who I like, who seems like a really nice guy and is a good fighter. But if I'm just being honest, like, that, that's not good. And I'm not even talking about the data what, you got to bang, bro. You're going to put a ceiling on your career. I'm not even talking about any of that. I'm talking about just winning fights. And being safe and not taking damage. Like, it's actually more safer to be aggressive in a case like Blades. In the pool he's swimming in with the skills that he has. So, that that's frustrating. It's not the lay and pray or boring rest. It's not, it's not those criticisms. It's simply fighting smart criticisms. Um, which is sounds ironic because I'm also preaching aggression. Speaking of aggression, Jessica Andrade defeated Cynthia Calvillo via first round TKO. Yeah, man, this was the parlay piece and the anchor for me and many for a reason. And I love Calvillo. You know, she's training out of my back of my gym. But like I was saying, we saw some of that where, and again, I love Caraway, I love Tate. But they trained with that guy, uh, the striking with the guy, um, that Gifford guy. And again, lateral movement and boxing fundamentals are much needed in MMA. And everybody could use a little bit of that. But Calvillo... Caraway, Tate, all strong grapplers. Um, and the style of striking, although boxing fundamental lateral movement good, they're not great connecting pieces if 
you are a uh, if you're a grappler, right? That's that that's your thing. You're a wrestler. You're a submission grappler, a submission specialist. And against someone like Andrade, who's like you know John Lineker and Lawler in the sense of they have those kill zones between the cage and the inner black octagon lines. Like you're just gonna give that to Andrade. Um, you know, who had an easy time just, you know, um, she doesn't follow and chase like she used to. She, she can actually cut stuff off and box and yeah. So that was a good stoppage. That was just really bad. Um, I, again, even the stuff I did play, I feel like I should have just played more. <laughs> I feel like I, I don't want to complain cause I did really well and had a perfect betting night on paper, but I did feel like I left money on the table in some senses. Um, Rob Devalashvili defeated Marlon Moraes via second round TKO. Um, hearts out to everybody chasing the round props, uh, rounds ones and three, because it went right in the middle. And man, I don't even know if it should have even went that long. But uh, Keith Peterson, all the refs had long leashes, man. Keith Peterson, what the heck? Um, really let Marais take it. And again, it might not seem as big, but when your head has nowhere to go and you're flat on your back, like those shots are much worse. Um, and because of that, and because Devolves really wasn't going for submissions and was landing those shots at the end of round one. That's one where it was like a tale of two rounds. Amazing rounds, by the way. I'm not critiquing them. Just, they're interesting to score. I don't know if there's a right answer, and I sure as shit am not one to tell you guys. I'm not authority on scoring. In fact, my scoring is pretty piss poor considering um, I haven't been really doing it consistently, and I'm just not great with what I usually look for in fights. I'm not geared for scoring. It's just not a strength of mine, and I can admit that, right? Um, you almost wish these people, uh, you know, people getting paid to would admit it more. But anyways, um... With this round, I would actually be more sympathetic to a 10-9 adjustment um, for Marlon because uh, he almost won. You could have had a, a you know an argument that the fight could have been stopped, should have been stopped again because Tavares really won, but he got he got concussed for sure really badly. So you know he didn't walk out free even though he got the one the win and the comeback, folks. Uh, because I give the first round to Marlon, um, it would have been a 10-8. I mean, man, it would have been a 10-7 because the fact that you know. Uh, assuming he made it to the end of the round, and if you know Marab doesn't get that takedown, then he's taking. Then, then it's like probably looks like what Edgar Maynard, but it definitely would have been a ten-eight um, Marash. Uh, except Devaj really not only gets a takedown, but again he doesn't go for a submission that didn't get there. He actually went for damage, and I think that brought it back. Because you could almost argue it could have stopped at the end of the first, right? Not as bad as Ortega three argument, but. An argument nonetheless, and one, of course, I would be sympathetic for as someone who knows the cost. And uh, if Hetraman has, you know, uh, competed on some level, at least. Uh, Dan Hooker defeated Nasrak this week on Hack. Hack Parass, unanimous decision. Not much to say there. I felt like I left money on the table. This was just a really good line on Dan Hooker, but I honestly just didn't think the fight was going to happen between all the travel intangibles. So, like I told you guys, I didn't really, really look at it too much, and... Which sucked because when you broke it down on paper, he's like, yeah, he's got all the tools and tactics really to just kind of roll here, and he did. Um, so, yeah, Dan Uka uh, showed off his underrated wrestling that, you know, I was talking about in my breakdowns pre-Poyer fight, but I think he made it a little more obvious for people this time around. Hey, but then again, it's the benefit of following me, folks. I do squeeze out a gem or two put up with my nonsense. Chris Dawkins defeated Shamil Abdurahimov. Shamwild Shamwild Shamil. Shamwoudum. Dagestani Randy Couture, second round TKO. Again, had to get two finishes here. Um I think this was the fight where I was just like cheering because I cashed Dawkins, but also cursing at Mark Smith, who just kept 
kept letting this fight go on. It was a really, really bad fucking stoppage. Like, dude, like, how much are you going to let this guy take? Like, really? Like, it was just, it was really goddamn ridiculous. Like, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was a Kumite night. It's like when, when, when the refs do it, they do it multiple times and they all tend to do it. It's like, okay, I guess we're giving long leashes, you know, in the name of fairness. Because, you know, again, the whole justification of their job is safety. But why, why do that? It's not like these fighters need it. They're clearly protected on multiple levels. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Chris Dawkins cashes, though, which was nice. Um, cashes the prop and the parlay leg for the plus money. Tyler Santos defeated Roxanne Modafferi. Unanimous decision. She rolled. Um, nothing to be scary of. She justified the line, I suppose, that she got. I just stayed away. and you know, Probably could have been a fun parlay ad. Uh, Jylan Turner. Mr. Turner defeated Euros Medic. This was really satisfying. Like, Super happy to be wrong on this pick. But also unhappy because I feel like if I had more time to watch tape and study, um, I would have gone with what my gut was, which was to pick Turner. And since I didn't have any underdog plays, he would have been more um, tempting one to play out of all the underdogs. Because again, I did technically pick Diaz as my underdog as my only underdog officially. But again, that wasn't for a play. No way in hell. Um, so that was upsetting. Also because of what I said with Medich, and I think part of me was kind of hedging because you know. I go hard and heavy with these opinions and then get proven wrong with just the athletic cheating that people like me and Connor and Phil love, right? Um, with Giga Chikotse and I'm like, here's another Eastern European kickboxing guy credential, even though he's just fought a bunch of cans and there's not a ton of his, really, of his kickboxing footage out there. But okay, we're just going to go with the hype. And remember what happened last time, Dan? You got shit from everybody plus proven wrongs. So let's just... Let's just go with the fucking hype train and just not get shit. And sure, you know, uh, but uh, sure enough, uh, he gets, he loses and just gets, looks like he gets broken, which was very satisfying because it, regardless of the reason, you crumble during adversity and you're going to talk shit. Well, guess what? You're going to get shit, especially in this game, in this day and age, in this day and age of life, regardless of MMA and social media itself, you know, and I'm sorry, but you, you're going to put someone out with a triangle and then strike them after they tap and after the ref stops the fight. Uh, and then act like you're all hard as shit. Yeah, I took a lot of pleasure in watching Mr. Turner uh, win this fight. And even though I was technically wrong, I was happy to be wrong. And I was so happy for everybody out there that was cashing. I know my man uh, Clint from Die Hard MMA cashed big on this one. Um, anybody who cashed on Turner, uh, I didn't. I didn't have enough balls to play. Again, I was wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. Uh, I'm not trying to falsely bump my chest. But, uh, you know, me and my bias toward people that kind of act like jerks in fights. And, uh, you know, uh, and that plus, even when they don't act like jerks, you know, my bias, like, from hype trains uh, with the quick finishes. So, like, it was just, oof, oof, oof. It was just hit a special feel-good, like a not quite Marcin Tabura, Greg Hardy feel-good, but it was up there. Um, that being said, I hope Medich, you know, I hope that readjusts his ego. He's a young, talented kid. I'm sure he'll be back. And I wish him the best coming fo going forward as I hope this humbled him in the right ways. Um, Nick Maximoff defeated Cody Brundage via unanimous decision. Yeah, I wasn't really impressed with this fight. Brundage, you know, was a live dog, but uh, Maximoff was able to get to his game. Um, kind of that counter-wrestling game, which is cool, but uh, without good striking, I do wonder how far he's going to get. Um Matthew Semmelsberger, Fantasy Jewish Fight League. You look like a Mattingly from uh, the Simpsons episode. In the Simpsons episode, shave those sideburns, Mattingly. Uh, I thought I told you to shave those sideburns. I, I did, Mr. Burns. 
uh, defeated Martin Sano. Uh, Shouts to my man Aaron Brownstetter, Captain Insano. <laughs> hey, kid, how old are you? <laughs> Big show. Uh, round one, knockout. Samuelsberger, man, looking like the second coming of Matt Brown. Matt Brown going to gonna do Matt Brown, going to knock you out. Uh, so good on him. Easy cash for anybody. Um, Jonathan Pierce defeated Omar Morales via submission. I feel like if I watched this fight, uh, I would have picked this dynamic easily, but I didn't. And what's upsetting is I said this before. I said that recapping Omar's last fight, and I did a brief mention, although I, I didn't explain the questionable decisions when I mentioned that, is that Omar just made really questionable grappling decisions positionally-wise with Shane Young. Now, Shane Young, not known as a submission grappler, so he wasn't able to even, you know, make him pay for it by winning the round, much less the fight. But um, I don't know why I didn't put two and two together. He's going against a guy who wants to, to grapple him. And uh, we just saw Omar make stupid fucking decisions. So stupid. Oh, my God. They're just ridiculously stupid decisions. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Pierce just looked like in crazy shape. Just looks like a pain-in-the-ass guy fight. And, you know... Um, those cardio dudes are good for them later round uh, stoppages. So I'm gonna be looking at some Jonathan Pierce round threes in his future. Good on, good on him, and good on people who um, who played him. Um, all right, we're gonna go to listener questions right here and get on out of here. It's already 109, pretty long episode. All right, let's go to these uh, things right quick. Um, da 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 da. Uh, sorry, I'm just getting like a lot of uh, a lot of opinions coming in on that on that stoppage, which are opinions that I don't disagree with. I think people are are a bit more sober, uh, which is you know I, I get. I have to do it myself. I have to go watch with sober eyes with some of this stuff um, too. So all right, Adam at Adam Adam OC thirty seven. If T City moves up, how many of the top fives do you see him beating? Moves up to the lightweight, I guess. Um, Let's see, uh, UFC rankings, rankings, um, yeah, if T-City moves up, how many of the top five do you see him beating? Yeah, I was always interested, that's an interesting question, he's 5'8", I've seen him in person, some of that UFC 223, when he was in town, he offered to step in, he looked pretty thick, but he's not the biggest guy, um, he could probably be a, a decent 155-er, because he's, he's shown power and opportunistic submissions, so... Uh, I don't think it's out of the question for him to go up to that weight. Um, but you got Dustin Poirier. Uh, you know, maybe something opportunistic. But outside of that, Poirier would just, just push his shit in. Uh, Justin Gaethje, bad matchup, uh, in my opinion. I know he can submit Gaethje for sure if he gets him there. But I don't know if he does. Uh, you know, maybe again, probably something opportunistic. And then he gets his shit pushed in. Benil Darius, just a bad matchup. Um, yeah, real bad matchup. Many of their use, you don't even get like the opportunistic stuff. Although, uh, the flash knockout, much more on the table now for that one. Uh, number four, you got Michael Chandler. Um, I think Michael Chandler can avoid this. He's, he's so stubborn and, and so difficult to choke. Um, you still got the opportunistic worry, but I actually, I might even put Chandler above, uh, well, above Gaethje, for, uh, for sure, as far as chances to beat Ortega, even if Gaethje beats Chandler, this is a matchup thing. Maybe even a better chance um, than Poirier, not by much. Uh, they both would be, obviously, I think, would pick him to push Ortega's shit in. Number five is Makachev. Oh, that's a that's a bad matchup. 
you'd have to catch some real opportunistic um, strike or something. So, yeah, uh, Tony Ferguson should not be number six. Um, that would be a that would be a really cool fight, actually. <laughs> if Tony Ferguson wasn't like at the stage that he was in, I don't know what the hell's going on with him. Uh, RDA, yeah, Hooker, eh. yeah, I don't know. I don't like any of these. Ma- even like, like I could see Gregor doing something at number ten, saying that you know, giving giving away something. Uh, otherwise, I would probably take Gregor in that fight too. Uh, Carlos Diego Fajeda, I would take over him. Uh, Brad Riddell, uh, given his counter arrest, yeah, I would take him over. Yeah, especially with the uh, art, you know, the Volkanovski connection there. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like his chance. Yeah, I, I think he should stay in featherweight. Um, to be honest. All right, next question. All right, at Zim zero one five. Uh, generally interested in your thoughts about how those of us who practice and or enjoy combat sports, air quotes, reconcile the love, air quotes, with the obvious but necessarily incurred risks, noting. Some consider the practice of self-defense, not combat. Huh? So basically he's asking, generally interesting my thoughts about how those of us who practice and enjoy combat sports reconcile the love with the obvious. Yeah, it's tough. I have a tough time doing it um, because I am aware of these incurred. Uh, no people uh, live through some myself, so on and so forth. Yeah, it makes it really tough to be honest. That's that's kind of been a struggle. This podcast theme is last year. I've really been struggling with it in a lot of ways. Um, how about you guys? I, I feel like I've been seeing more and more people admit to burnout. You know, whether it's uh, on Twitter, or otherwise, and and that's why I say you know, and I don't run love enthusiasm. Not hating on anybody, but it's it's just you know the you know. UFC every week. I never get tired of this. Like, good on you, but that's an unrealistic attitude. And I just, I, I see, I, I, for years, I've seen so many people not just have that, but use that to like shame people like myself for like, God forbid, you know, um, critiquing it or being overwhelmed. But eventually, even all those people get overwhelmed too. So um, it's a very real thing. How you deal with it, it's up to you. And unfortunately, I wish I could give you better advice, but I, I don't. And I'm going through my own struggle with it. Hey, Matt Joya, Joya Plata, uh, Leo Santos Stan on Twitter. How should we feel about Diaz Lawler? No country for old men. Uh, Matt Joya, I know you get shit for like not watching movies. I'm going to guess, even though uh, our, our mutual there, uh, Tommy, uh, even though he's got, what's his name from No Country Old Men, Tommy Lee Jones is his avatar. I'm guessing you haven't seen that, Joya, and I'm not shaming you, by the way. Like, I... Uh, my my film watching and opinions have really fall off, fallen off. Uh, but I, I just say that to say that, uh, you know, since I already answered your question, I will raise you instead. <clears throat> you got to watch No Country for Old Men, Matt Joya. I know you're listening to this. You better watch it because I know uh, from Sound of Violence to the Fight Side guys, they're going to give you crap if you don't. Okay? There we go. Uh, I love Matt Joya. I'm going to podcast with him soon, I think, hopefully. Let's get the man a guest co-host, Ryan Payne. Yeah, sorry, Ryan, no guest co-host. But again, I'm going to guest co-host with Sam tomorrow, so check that out. Uh, at Whiskey Sour, I got one. How the fuck did he get out of those two? I know, right? Um, definitely explain those. Go back and listen. Shouts to underscore Whiskey Sour. Uh, Kieran Singh, uh, at K-I-R-A-N, Singh, S-I-N-G, uh, 
H-I-R-L. What credible threats are left for Volk other than Max? <clears throat> um, at this weight class, uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. Um, you know, I I don't like anybody's chances, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of people I wouldn't mind seeing Volkanovski maybe beat up, but uh, you know, it, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a minute before we get any challengers from there. Um, his challengers would have to come from other weight classes. Whether you've got like Cejudo coming up at a retirement, um, that would be. That would actually be really interesting if Suhudo, you know, really took it seriously and serious about those. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying, you know, um, given the, the dynamic we saw, the Charles Oliveira and Brian T Ortega and the you know similarities there, just have the more taller, more well versed, the more refined, more dangerous, and Chucky Olives. That would be very fun, um, as far as champion versus champion. But we pretty much got to look outside of the weight classes, you know. Even young guys that I like, like Taporia at featherweight, like there's 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 still a lot of development, especially when you have the five round and just strategic factor. It's a whole nother ball game. Volk makes you play. So yeah, that's it's, it's very vacant at featherweight, my friend. That's the answer for that one. Um, Christopher uh, Negron at Negron MMA. He says. Do you think the main event should have been stopped after the third? Who do you think... Okay, there's a couple questions there. I'll answer the first one. Do you think the main event should have been stopped after the third round? Yes, yep, definitely. And I explained why. By the rules and opinion. Uh, his next question is, who do you think is the best women's flyweight besides Valentina? Um, what's next for her? She looks bulletproof. Appreciate you, Dan. Appreciate you, Chris. Um, who do you think is the... the is the best women's fly flyweight. That's interesting. Um, there's a lot of up and coming ones, you know, and I don't want to like, you know, put like, uh, you know, the Blanche Fields or you know these girls out there too soon or whatnot. Um, but the next best flyweight. I mean, geez, even though she can fight at strawweight, may may do double duty, and even though she just got worked by Shevchenko, maybe it's uh Maybe it's Andrade, right? Uh, at this point, um, you know, Ch Chukagan's number two, and uh, Andrade, you know, wiped her. Murphy's number three. Uh, Maya's number four. Calviel five. We just saw that. Yeah, I mean, it might just very well be Andrade as far as flyweight. But there's there's a lot of fighters coming down the proverbial pike. We we could have saw one this weekend in Menonfirio, Faro. Uh, and I know that you can go back to, it's still pretty applicable, and I think it's aged quite well. Shouts to uh, E. Spencer Kite, who uh, is just a great podcast guest. He's on this, whether he's on this show or, or Sean Sheehan's Severe MMA show. Uh, we did a top five dark horses uh, for this year, um, and uh, we do get into some of the female fighters. I know uh, she was mentioned, so anything I'm missing here, I'd suggest go back to that episode a couple months ago. Still very listenable, mixedmarshallanalyst.com. Or go back in the applepodcast.com feeds on that episode. There should be a video version even up on the YouTube. Daniel Tom MMA, if that suits your fancy. I think that's the last listener question here. Um, really appreciate you guys. This one went longer than I thought, but it's good because I have it fresh in my mind. It would have been sucky to wait all that long where you guys have been ear beaten and then you're going to have Dan Tom ear beat you on top of the normal ear beatings on something we've already been ear beaten on them before. What's new to say? Um, and that's just really depressing. So I'm, you know, going to get this out early. Hopefully it didn't mess me off uh, too bad, but we'll see. going to do a Bellator breakdown. have written ones over there for Junkie, for Lima, and 
page. It's a Friday show, so I'm gonna get to that first. Then I'll push on. I'll have a video one, I should say, I've written. I mean, for uh, I've written from Bellator too, but I've written and video for UFCs, which is what is that shit? Um, Johnny Walker versus uh, Tiago Santos. Um, Oz Checker will be back with a breakdown for the next PYM podcast. Do a grading the winners article, all that good stuff. Uh, again, I'm glad I could help you guys cash. Um, I, you know, I know there's there's plenty of people doing the damn thing out there. Happy for them as well. Uh, you know, just um, you know, it's it's nice to get reminders that I, I I do do this stuff pretty pretty okay and and help people make some money. That that means actually a lot to me to know. So thank you guys. Um, I'll see you later in the week. And always protect your neck. That man that shot you, you died in prison. Angola. Yeah. What'd you done? He'd been released. No, oh, I don't know. Nothing. Wouldn't be no point in it. Kind of surprised to hear you say that. Well, all the time you spend trying to get back what's been took from you, more is going out the door. After a while, you just have to try to get a tourniquet on it. Your granddad never asked me to sign on as a deputy. Loretta tells me you're quitting. How come you're doing that? I don't know. I feel overmatched. I always figured when I got older, God would sort of come into my life somehow. didn't. I don't blame him. As far as him, I'd have the same opinion of me that he does. You don't know what he thinks. Send Uncle Max thumbbustering badge over to the Rangers, put it in their museum. Daddy ever tell you how Uncle Mac come to his reward? Gunned down on his own porch over in Hudspeth County. Seven or eight of them come up there. I want this, want that. Uncle Mac went back in the house to get the shotgun. Well, there's a head of him. Shot him in his doorway. Ain't Ella come out and tried to stop the bleeding. Uncle Mac all the while trying to get that shotgun. They just sat there on their horses, watching him die. After a while, one of them said something in Indian, and they turned and left out. Uncle Mac knew the score, even if Ain't Ella didn't. Shot through the left lung. That was that, as they say. When did he die? 1909. Oh, I mean, was it right away or in the night or when was it? I believe it was that night. She buried him the next morning, digging in that hard old caliche. What you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. 
can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity.